Thanks, Josh. Morning, everyone. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to be at here in just a minute. There is a, um, I'll show you some pictures of something pretty exciting here. Uh, this is uh, happened up at elementary camp this last Thursday night, wasn't it? I think it was Thursday night. Uh, for a while now, Hallie Spray has been talking with her mom, saying, I, I want to be baptized, I want to make this commitment to follow Christ. And so uh, Terry and uh, myself and, and Hallie sat down a few times. I gave Hallie some things to read and some uh, worksheets to do. And she came back and she did all of those things. She read everything. And uh, she said, uh, it's time, I need to be baptized. And both um, Terry and I uh, told Hallie, you're young, Hallie. You're 11. You can you can take some time on this. And her response was, "No, I want to follow God. Now is the time. It's going to happen." And so uh, we on Thursday night up at elementary camp uh, during the session there, and it was a great spirit up there. There's 30 some odd elementary kids running around, and it was just wonderful. Scott Free uh, is organizing that camp now, and just just a great spirit there. And uh, here you have Hallie going down into the water, uh, being baptized. And um, there she's in, and here she comes up out of the water. And it was really neat to see. Uh, there was some of the kids uh, at uh, elementary camp. I don't know if one of the kids started or what happened. They started chanting, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She's going under the water and came up. And uh, I knew afterwards, I wasn't right there when it happened, but um, Terry told, told me that uh, she, they gave Hallie a new Bible as a present for her as, as she was baptized. And she said, great, a present and eternal life in the same day. <laughs> I thought, that's awesome, Hallie. So this is, this is something that's exciting. Uh, we're, Hallie, we're all just praying alongside you. Uh, we love you. And uh, when we make that decision to follow Christ, you never have to walk alone again. Uh, as, as Scripture talks about, is the blood of Jesus, his son, First John, 1 John 1, purifies us, continually purifies us, and we, we don't walk alone. We walk, we have fellowship with one another, have fellowship with God, we have fellowship with each other, and uh, we walk through this life together uh, knowing that God is, is using each one of us to call each other higher and to look more like Him and to launch into eternity. And you're part of that now, Holly, and we're excited for that. And so I won't draw attention to you anymore, Holly, I just want you to know that you're, you're, you've got a community here that loves you, and uh, we're really excited uh, to share this moment with you. Uh, there is, a, I know, a bunch of our crew is up at teen camp or at, at junior camp this morning. There'll be a bunch of us up at teen camp next week, and uh, that's one of the great ministries that we invest a lot in here as a church is Yellowstone Bible Camp. It's just down the road, and uh, Dan and Tisha, Dan was appointed an elder of the church here last week. He's up there today, and he will be uh, for the rest of the summer. He'll be here some Sundays. He'll be there some Sundays. And we've got a, a big crew that's up there, and he gets to shepherd them and, and many others that are up there uh, as part of that, that ministry and mission that we have this summer. Um, there is a, it's just it's just exciting. That's a, it's so neat to be uh, to see God work and uh, continue to work among us wherever we are. Now I'm going to talk about uh, uh, Simon Peter this morning, and I want to start off by talking about nicknames. How many of you have ever had a nickname? How many of you have ever had a nickname that you don't want anybody here to know? 
<laughs> There's a bunch, yeah. Your, your, your hands go up there. I remember, and maybe I've shared some of this. I, Chris is, is a nickname for me, I guess, because my given name is Christopher, and anybody who knows me or knew me when I was a little child still calls me Christopher. But when I got to kindergarten, I had the option to write out Christopher or write Chris. Now, if you're a kindergartner who's not sure you want to be there or not, what are you going to choose? It takes a long time to write Christopher, and there's a whole lot of other things that I could be doing when I wrote those, those final letters on my name, and so I became Chris at that point, and I've been called Chris ever since. It wasn't on purpose. That's just what happened. You know, there was some, um, some buddies of mine in college. We tried to give ourselves nicknames to see if they stuck, and some of them did. Um, some of them didn't. Mine never stuck. But I remember that there's a few guys that I went to college with that are good friends, and, and some of them are still good friends. And it was a long time before I even knew what their real name was because they went by this nickname, and it usually had to do with something dumb that they did at some point in time, and they got a nickname because of it. Okay. So if you guys want to, uh, to confess your nicknames that you don't want to share with anybody else, I'm going to be in the back afterwards, and I'd love to hear them and, and all that. But nicknames are something that we, we give to each other. In fact, even God gives nicknames. When you look back at the story of Abraham, it says that Abraham, do you remember what his name was before he was called Abraham? His name was Abram, right, which means exalted father or father that is full of honor. And God comes to him and says, all right, Abraham, I'm going to change your name and I'm going to give you the name of Abraham. Now, do you remember what was so ironic about that? is when God came and gave him the name of Abraham, which means the father of many, Abraham had how many children at that point in time? Zero. So you'll, you see God almost a sense of humor there, saying, Abraham, I'm going to give you a name here as a father of many, even though you don't have any children yet. Walk by faith, you're going to see this happen. Something that is biologically impossible is going to happen. And he gave him that nickname. You see lots of people in Scripture that have nicknames. Barnabas means son of encouragement because that was Barnabas was a minister in the New Testament, a church Christian who just encouraged people and he was known for that. We're going to look at someone today, Simon, or we know that's his given name, that he was given at birth by his parents and his family. But Jesus calls him something different. He calls him Peter, which really doesn't help us understand when it's translated what that means. Now, the word... Pietra means rock. And so what Jesus says is, Simon, I'm going to give you a nickname that's going to share something about who you are and what you're going to become. I'm going to call you the rock. And uh, that's kind of different for us uh, because it's lost in translation. But that's basically what Jesus did. As he went around from that time on, Jesus, the other disciples, called Peter the rock. Now, when I say the rock, you might be thinking of somebody else here. Who knows who that is over on the left? Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. That's what he's become known as. He made his, he actually was on the same, he, University of Miami Hurricane. He was on the defensive line along with Armistead and Warren Sapp and that generation of guys. He was on that same defensive line. He became a professional wrestler after that and then became an actor. The guy's a monster. You know, I used to look like that and then I kind of went off, went easy on the way. No, I never looked like that. The guy's an absolute monster. And he is known as, his professional wrestling nickname was what? The Rock. Yeah, that's what he was known, right? And um, 
The other guy on the other side there, Rocky Balboa, that's right. Those are movies that came out when I was a little kid. The Italian Stallion, right, the Southpaw. He was a left, movies about a left-handed boxer that would, uh, uh, that knocked people out. Uh, his nickname was Rocky Balboa. Hey, this is a nickname that comes up other places, not just with, uh, with Simon in the New Testament. Well, let's take a look at some of the things or some of the interactions that Peter, and we'll call him Peter, had with Jesus, and why this is important. Because we're going to see that Peter shows us something very, very important about our faith development. We, we don't know when Peter's first interaction was with Jesus, but he seems like he, he knew who Jesus was. His brother was a disciple of John the Baptist. Peter had, before this instance, a lot of interaction with Jesus, it seems. And in Luke chapter 5, what we see happen is Jesus is teaching on the side of the Sea of Galilee there. And there's, the crowd is coming up against him, and he, he can't talk with people anymore. It's just too, much, too many people there. So he goes over to this fishing boat, and there's Peter, or Simon as he's called at this point in time. And Jesus says, will you take me out into the, the water a bit? Jesus gets in the boat with Simon, and he goes out into the water a little bit so Jesus could sit there on the boat and teach the people. Now, have you ever been at a mountain lake? And I, this happened here just a few days ago, so it made me think about it. Have you ever been at a mountain lake where everything is super quiet? There's nothing else happening. And you can hear people talking from across the lake. Now, my son and I hiked into a mountain lake, and he was on the other side, far away. And he and I could talk back and forth because... The sound travels across water like that. So Jesus gets in this boat where the sound can travel across the water. He can speak to a lot more people, and he does. And as evening comes around, Jesus says, Hey, Peter, throw the net in the water. And he says, We've been fishing all day. No luck. Not going to happen. It's not, not great. Um, and uh, he does, Peter says, But because you say so, I'll do this. And he throws the, the net in. And we know the story if you've read it before. There's a catch that is bigger than they can imagine that comes into those nets. And you can imagine for a fisherman, that's pretty scary. That Wait a minute, this guy just controlled all the fish, or at least he knew something that, I've, that I didn't. I've spent all my life on this water. Something crazy, amazing just happened here. And Jesus says, Peter, come and follow me. From now on, you're going to fish for people. Instead of fishing for these fish, you're going to fish for something much different, much greater. You're going to fish for the souls of people. And Peter puts his nets down, and he leaves, and he follows Jesus at that point in time. And we see him walking through the life and ministry of Jesus. We see him participating in, or at least observing, a lot of different miracles that Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 14, what we see happen here, and it's a really amazing story, is Jesus goes up on the hillside to pray, the boat is out in the water. They're having trouble getting to shore because of all the storm that's happening and the, and the waves. So Jesus comes down and he walks across the water. Now, this is not frozen water, okay? That's not, we can walk on water in Montana in the wintertime, but that's not what's going on here. Jesus just walks across the water. He uh, comes out to the boat, and they're terrified. They think it's a ghost, and Jesus calls out to him and says, It's just me. It's okay. It's all right. And Peter says, you remember what he says? Let me come out there with you. And Peter jumps out of the boat and starts walking on the water 
out there to Jesus. And as he gets close, he looks down, he sees the waves, he sees the storm around him, and he becomes afraid and he starts to sink. And Jesus grabs him and takes him back into the boat. says, oh, you little faith. He uses it as a teaching moment. This is not how Peter got his nickname, though. Maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's a joke here is that Peter sunk like a rock at that point in time. But a few chapters later, what we see happen in Matthew chapter 16. Go ahead and look. Matthew chapter 16, I'll start reading verse 13. It says, When Jesus came to the region of of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do the people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Boy, that, that is a big jump there. Because it's easier to say someone is a prophet, someone's a great teacher, Something like that. But Peter steps out in faith and says, No, I believe that you're the Messiah. You're the ones that have been talked you're the ones been talked about for centuries before. You're the great king that is supposed to come. And look at Jesus' response here. He says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, or you are the rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Oh, man. You can imagine Peter is there at this moment thinking, Man, yes, I got it. I'm the first one to notice this, at least among the disciples. I'm the first one to confess this. And Jesus gives me this nickname as the rock. I'm going to be this rock on which a kingdom is going to be going to be built. And the gates of Hades are not going to prevail against it. In other words, this kingdom is going to go right into the realm of the dead. The dead, the realm of the dead is not going to have control over this kingdom. This kingdom is going to be more powerful than all that. Look what happens in the next breath. Um, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter then took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. So the moment Jesus is called the Messiah, he starts to explain what being the Messiah means. It means suffering, means all of this. And Peter takes him aside and says, no, no, that's not going to happen. That's not how this Messiah thing works, Peter. And Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Boy, Jesus rebukes Peter very strongly here. As it says that Jesus is tempted in all ways like us, right? Scripture says that. So this must have been really hard for Jesus to hear, for Peter to come and say, no, 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 that's not how this is going to work. You're not going to suffer like this. That's crazy. And there's maybe part of Jesus that said, Peter, I I agree. I believe you. That sounds great to me. I don't want that kind of messiahship. But Jesus says, nope, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. You're thinking about me wrong. My kingdom is going to be different than you anticipate. Not long afterwards, Peter is part of this small group of people that sees Jesus transfigured. They go up on this mountain. There's a transfiguration that happens. Jesus goes from being someone who is human to someone, maybe his his human side is peeled away for an instant. And there's Elijah, there's Moses that are up there on the, uh, the, the stop here, Gary. 
Okay. Do we have uh, someone who knows how to run iPhones? Let me check this real quick. I think it's probably still going, Gary, is my guess. If it's not, then oh well. We'll, we'll roll with it. Thanks. So here you have Jesus up there with Moses and Elijah on either side. And Peter says, whoa, this is great for us to be here. Let's build a shelter, a place of worship for all three of you. And there's a voice comes and says, this is my son, listen to him. Something very important that Peter hears there, that Jesus himself is more important than some of the greatest people that you've always given honor to before. This is great. Peter sees that. He experiences that. In Matthew chapter 18, we see that Peter asks something maybe that uh, the rest of the disciples wanted to ask, and, and maybe not they aren't courageous enough to do it. But look at the first verses of Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, your job is to continue to forgive and continue to forgive. That's what my kingdom is about. That's what it's supposed to look like. Boy, Peter wrestled with that like the rest of the apostles would have. It doesn't stop there. Peter goes along with Jesus right to the very end of his ministry in this life. Peter is there in in John chapter 18 and 19, as you see that Jesus is being led off and being arrested. Uh, Peter is there when the... uh, the Last Supper happens, and there's, you can feel that there's some tension in the room. There's something going to happen. There's some discomfort. Jesus gets down and he washes their feet after they've been arguing about who's going to be the greatest. Peter's part of that discussion. They go up on, on the hillside, and here come some guards in order to arrest Jesus. And Peter, out of anger, fear, rage, loyalty, all of that bundled in together, grabs a sword and he tries to protect his friend, his teacher, and his Lord, this person that he's called the Messiah. And uh, as Jesus, he misses, cuts off the, the, the high priest's servant's ear. I doubt he was aiming for the ear. That's not what would t- people typically do with a sword, is aim for the ear. Probably trying to take his head off. Misses. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Takes the ear, heals it. And Peter runs off at that point in time. What is this kingdom about? Because my Lord is not supposed to be arrested. Even though I've heard that, I understand it somewhere up here, I just don't get it here. It just, this isn't how it's supposed to work. John tells us about how Peter actually gets into the courtyard. He sees this trial happen. He sees all of it shaking down. How tough that must be on Peter. How, as he is trying to figure out and put in his put together in his head and heart what all of this is about. In fact, during the night while this trial has happened, he denies that he knows Jesus how many times? Three different times. People say, wait a minute, your accident gives you away? Wait a minute, I saw you with Jesus. Aren't you one of his disciples? And he calls down curses on himself, says, I don't know this guy. I have no idea who he is. And Jesus had told them, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And you can imagine that third time, as Peter denies Jesus, he hears, off in the background, a rooster. He thinks, wait a minute. And he runs off and says he weeps bitterly. How far 
A person can go from, I'm going to cut your head off to defend my Lord, to denying him three times in a matter of hours. That's what we do when things aren't going like we anticipate, right? Sometimes we found out, find out how strong our foundations are. And at this point in time, Peter's foundation is pretty rocky, if we can say it that way. Not smooth, not strong, but uneven. And he goes away and he weeps. As something happens a few days later, and John tells the account of this, is that Peter hears from some, uh, some ladies that the tomb is empty. Someone has done something with the body of Jesus. And it's really it's fascinating reading the account of John because what happens, it says that John, the, the disciple, reveals himself later, John actually outruns Peter to the entrance of the tomb. And then Peter is the first one to go in. He goes in and he looks, and there the grave clothes are, but there's no body. And before long, all of a sudden, Peter is in places where Jesus starts revealing himself. Can you imagine standing there with all these disciples that are there? They're all scratching their heads. What happened to the body of Jesus? What is going on here? This doesn't make any sense. And all of a sudden, Jesus is standing among you, as the account in Scripture tells us. He's standing among them and saying, Hey, here I am. <laughs> ah! You know, that's scary. That would terrify any one of us if something like that happened, right? Man, and what happens in the next uh, little while, we see that Pentecost happens. Peter courageously gets up in front of thousands of people that are there and says, this Jesus whom you crucified is the Messiah that we've been waiting for and God has made him both Lord and Christ. There's 3,000 people become a part of the kingdom of God that day. They're, they're confessed, they're, they're baptized, their Holy Spirit is given, there's transformation that happens there. And you see Peter, from that point on, he is a different person. It's not one of these, well, it's okay. I'm, I'm courageous here, but I'm not here, and man, I just can't seem to figure out if I'm going to sink like a rock or I'm going to be the rock for other people. I just can't seem to, to get that dialed in. When we get to Acts chapter 10, what we see is Peter is the first to walk into a Gentile's house. He's the first one to baptize Gentiles, and they become a part of the kingdom of God. We see in Acts chapter 15, when that is a huge issue with the Jerusalem church. How on earth can we let people in who are Gentiles? That's terrible. That's rough. We can't seem to get our minds and hearts around that. Peter says, I was there. This is what happened. And brings peace to a situation that was really volatile. You see what's happening here is that after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter changed. And instead of being the rock that would sink, he became a rock of a strong spiritual foundation for thousands and many, many more. Jesus' resurrection does something to us if we're paying attention and if we allow it to. Because when Jesus raised from the dead, it confirms some things. It confirms something about his nature. Is that he is more than just a philosopher. He's more than just teacher. And most importantly for our purposes here, he is much more than just human. Because for us... We can't, as we've talked about before, we use the analogy of a, a cardboard box, you know, we can't break out of death when we finally arrive there. But Jesus can because he created all of it. He knows how all this works. He's above it. He's greater than all that. And so when Jesus came out of the grave, that caused Peter to reflect and think, man, 
This is something different than anything we've seen before. Someone that is raised from the dead never to die again. And not only so, if Jesus is able to raise from the dead, that means he is God, which that means it confirms his teachings. What he has said to us is absolutely true, and these promises that he's given us, this eternal life, that when I die, I just launch into eternity, or this Holy Spirit thing that part of God comes and dwells in me and transforms me to be different than I would be otherwise, or, or this um, forgiveness of sins thing, that the sins from my past have been completely wiped away and God continually purifies me as I go forward, even as I fall short, God continues to purify me. But not only that, the Holy Spirit helps to transform me so that I start looking more and more like Jesus himself. Because God working in me to transform me. That's, all these promises must be true. This is bigger than just a philosopher or some teacher. But because Jesus raised from the dead, this is different. And we see from that point on that Peter is transformed into someone very, very different. He becomes, as we talk about, as, we, as I mentioned, not a rock that sinks, but a rock that is a foundation for the faith of many others. Now think about that for us. Um, the resurrection is the opportunity for us to change. Uh, sometimes, I know for myself and probably for all of us, as we go along in life, as we go along in reading our Bibles and scriptures and, and we go along with, in the Christian life, maybe we don't take a time out to say, all right, I want to think through this again. I want to pray through this again. How does the resurrection of Jesus change me? And we see from Peter... He went from someone who was unsure of his conviction, you know, all sorts of things. Someone who uh, responded by fear uh, at times to someone who became exactly what Jesus knew that he could be and he would be. This rock of a foundation for many, many people that would become faithful and go from the, and, uh, and faith would go all over the world. Now, I'm going to speculate here for just a minute because we don't know... Um, what I'm going to say from history for sure, but I'm just going to speculate a bit. We understand it's likely that Peter was executed in Rome during Nero's persecution. That's the best, best history we have. Okay. Um, now, if, if I found out someday we get to heaven, Peter said, that didn't happen to me. That, uh, that changes nothing, okay? It doesn't change our faith, anything like that. But that seems to be the case. Okay. There's, as we talked about that here a while back in Rome when Nero's persecution happened, lots and lots of Christians were executed there. I wonder what happened as people were being rounded up to be executed. Peter had become this spiritual rock, this foundation for so many that I wonder what would have happened if Peter at some point in time would have said, All right, I'm out, I'm done. I'm not doing this. But history or tradition says that Peter walked out and said, Jesus raised from the dead. I'm in. And Peter's put up on that cross. And someone else, someone else, someone else, someone else. And lots of people are executed that day. And what happened is the Romans took note. Said, why on earth would these people die for something like this. And we know the rest of the story from history is the more the Romans pushed back at the spiritual kingdom of Jesus, 
the greater the kingdom became, more and more and more and more and more people became Christians. Peter became that rock, that example, that many, many others followed. In fact, let's look at John chapter 21, just for a second here. Actually, John chapter 22. No, 21, excuse me. There's no John chapter 22. Ha! Messing with you, right? John 21. You imagine, put yourself in Peter's spot here. He is, uh, this is right after the resurrection. He has denied Jesus three times. And he is there in this group with Jesus. Can you imagine what he must be feeling, what he must be thinking as Jesus is there talking with the rest of the apostles. And G- Peter knows what he did, that he disowned Jesus three times. He may be standing there like this. No, I'm not sure I like this. I wonder if Jesus is going to say anything to me. And I'm going to read what Josh did again here. Josh did a beautiful job. and Let's read it again. John 21, verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Remember it talked about how it says that God took Isaiah by a strong hand and said, Hey, don't fear what they fear, okay? They're going to say conspiracy. Hey, you need to listen to me, okay? We're going to have a talk right now. This is halftime. We're going to have a talk. We're going to have a man-to-man, nose-to-nose. We're going to talk about this. Jesus does the same thing here with Peter. Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Three times, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you were old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Say with me, Follow me. Again, Follow me. That's what he says right there. There's going to be a time where you're going to suffer a lot for me, Just remember this. Follow me. That's all you need to know. Remember that. Follow me. And Peter did that. And he became, the the resurrection of Jesus, something very, very different than he was before. And I'm convinced from experience, from Scripture, from watching all of you, is that the resurrection... Just like it changed Peter, it can change you. It can take us from being shallow people that are materialistic, that worry, that are eaten up by addictions, that are dishonest, afraid, whatever. People that take, 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 take into something different. He can transform us into people that are courageous, spirit-filled, faith-filled, repentant, and people that are a rock for others around us. Provide that spiritual fortitude for others around us that calls other people higher. Now, I think about as I read what Jesus must have said to Peter there. He says, we wrestle with, how do I grow spiritually? How can I do all of this? Maybe Jesus is giving the secret or the key to it right here. As he takes Peter aside and says, all right, Peter. You notice he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him by his given name this time. Simon, do you love me? And feed my sheep. Simon, do you love me? Jesus, eye to eye with Peter. So he's sharing something very, very important that Peter was going to have to remember is that fundamentally 
every one of us has to decide. The resurrection of Jesus changes me. It changes history. It changes everything. Am I going to truly love Jesus and love what he is about more than all the rest of the stuff in this world? If we make that decision, I will love Jesus more than anything else, then what happens is God starts to transform us into a rock, a spiritual rock for the people around us. People that we become a giver. We become people that are transformational to the lives of people around us. And when I look back at that, I think, is it that simple? Is that really all there is to it? Maybe it is. And Jesus says, what you need to do, Peter, all this, you're kind of a mess right now. I get it. I understand it. But what you need to remember is love me more than these. And no matter how tough things get, no matter how things may be painful, it's going to happen, Peter. You've got to remember one thing. You follow me. That was his advice for Peter. It's his advice for us. And that's how we can become people more and more every day that are a spiritual rock for the people around us. If you'd like to become a Christian or you like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders will be back there and uh, are glad to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together. have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided